Welcome back, my Vibers. In this episode, I am sharing with you a previous episode that I recorded with candidate for county commissioner, precinct four, Leslie Briones. So this episode was recorded in March, but I want to share it again because she is running for candidate for county commissioner, again, precinct four. And I think she's a great, great candidate that you should support. So in this episode, I talked to her about her background, about her upbringing, what values she's bringing to the to the courts, what she feels is essential as she approaches the candidacy and she approaches the office of commissioner. We talk a little bit about her years at Harvard, how she became an Ivy League student, and what that took from somebody who grew up in the Rio Grande Valley. Um, our conversation just goes into some really great information. And don't forget that you want to vote for her in November. I believe the election for this year's November 8th. Go out there and make sure that you vote for progressive candidates, those candidates that stand for you and that definitely have your interested hearts. Again, I'm repeating this one more time. Go and follow Leslie Briones. Share this um, podcast episode with your friends and let's vote for her and make sure that she gets into office. Again, this is a repeat episode from March 30th and it's called Being Called to Surf with candidate Leslie Briones. And I hope you guys like it. Hey now, happy, happy vibes, my friends. Welcome back to my podcast, Vibes by Alicia, where I believe in spreading killer vibes to light you up and give you that kick in the ass to craft the life you wish to live. This sacred space is dedicated to the lovers of all things business, travel, and lifestyle. Hey, it's about time you get the scoop on the latest vibes, so let's get to it. I am so, so excited, everyone, to introduce to you today my guest. Um, it is someone that I met at a campaign stop for Beto O'Rourke. And it was in the Heights. And I was invited by, I think, a mutual friend, Michelle and George are mutual friends. And so um, I felt like, oh, my gosh, the minute I met this guest, I was so excited to just bring her on and have her introduce, introduce her to all of you all. So welcome to the podcast, Leslie. Thank you, Alicia. I'm honored. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. So Leslie Briones is a candidate and she's running for commissioner. So tell us a little bit about what that uh, role is right now. What are you running for? Sure. So thank you for having me. My name is Leslie Briones, and I am running to be your next Harris County Commissioner, Precinct 4. So Harris County and, and all counties in Texas are broken up into four precincts. Okay. And Harris County is bigger than 26 states. So each wow. precinct has approximately 1.2 million people, and it's essentially being a super mayor or think of it as a governor of a small state, given that Harris County is bigger than 26 states. And commissioners work on everything from sidewalks, roads, bridges, neighborhood parks to flood mitigation, mobility, traffic, running the jail and beyond, which we'll get into. But it's yes. very much a nuts and bolts kind of roads all the way up to access to voting in the county. It's so. a big, big job. Amazing. And I'm so um, excited to, to, to know that a Latina is running for this position. And uh, it makes me so excited to just see all of these women just taking that plunge and, and, and being fearless about it. Because I think one thing that um, I hear a lot, it's like, oh, I'm not qualified enough, or I just, you know, I don't deserve it. There's a lot of imposter syndrome that's going on. But I love to see it because I think that motivates other women to also push ahead and, and, and maybe not think so much about it and just do it. 
Because I think that's part of the problem. The, the problem is that we just think about it. I, that's especially for me. I think about it too much and then I, I don't do anything. <laughs> so you're a native Texan, a Pralatina who grew up in the U.S.-Mexico border. Lastly, developed a deep understanding for the struggles faced by working people and the importance of strong families and communities. You are bilingual and bicultural. Yes. And you are the daughter of teachers. I am. Oh, my Proud gosh. daughter of teachers. My parents are my role models and my best friends. Wonderful. And they taught you the importance of education, hard work, and serving others. And those are values that have defined you. Absolutely. And which you plan to bring to the county commissioner precinct for. So tell me about those values that your parents, um, because for me, I think that's those, they're, they're my heroes as well. And I think those values that I grew up with them, I still bring them in everything that I do, whether it's work, whether it's life, whether it's my family, married life, my kids, I carry them with me everywhere I go. So tell us a little bit about that background. So I'm like you, Alicia, I carry my parents with me always. And, and I feel as, as Latinas and frankly, as women, we are the links to different generations, right? Mm -hmm. And I think about how fortunate we are and the just links. the sacrifices that. that our grandparents, great-grandparents made to give us the opportunities we have. And so growing up in South Texas on the U.S.-Mexico border in Laredo, and as a, I'm a proud Mexican-American, and, and back then the border was fluid, you know, between Laredo right. and Nuevo Laredo. And that's how I grew up in this very binational, bicultural, bilingual background. And my parents were teachers, so... They were all about, you need to use the talents and opportunities God has given you to serve others. And so that was always what it was at my house. Were and education was everything. To were they bilingual teachers? No, they weren't. They were actually um, English teachers. Actually, my dad was my mother's English professor. Oh, so, wow. But for okay. education, <laughs> I would not exist. But they're mm -hmm. only seven years apart, but I love teasing them about that. Yeah. In any event, no, they were... Um, English teachers, professors, and then they became administrators. At oh, I see. Schools. Okay. Yes. And I'm the oldest of three. And they just always raised us with, you You know, you can do anything. We love you. Go be yourself and go do good. And yeah. that really crafted who I am. And, you know, and growing up on the border, many people never leave mm -hmm. our community. And so I was so grateful that because of scholarships, because of student loans, because you know, my parents always encouraged us and loved us mm -hmm. unconditionally. I was able to get opportunities that I probably otherwise wouldn't have. And so now I'm committed every day to pay it forward for all the people who took a chance on me. And, and to one of your earlier points, Alicia, I couldn't agree mm -hmm. more. I mean, there's studies that show that women need to be asked oh at goodness. least eight times to yes. run for office uh -huh. because we think, oh, well, let me just get more experience mm -hmm. or, oh, maybe after my kids grow up mm -hmm. or, oh, there's all these there's other, always there's other always reasons why we shouldn't right? do it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. There's always later or because of X. But you know what? At the end of the day, we all have to dive in. And I think we're all called to serve. So whether that's at your job mm -hmm. and your at your church, with your family, running for office, whatever it is, I feel mm -hmm. especially as women, we are called to serve and we're natural leaders, right? We do it all the time in all these facets of our life. So I'm really energized. You are energized. so correct about that. You are so correct. We are the leaders. And I think we don't take on that leadership role Um you know, easy, uh, without uh, responsibilities. I think we do carry those leaderships with responsibilities. I think like when we when we approach something, for example, when you approach running as a candidate, you approached it, you know, with the hope that you were going to be able to, to, to contribute to society, which is something that you grew up with, some values that you grew up with, being, you know, hardworking, the education that your parents gave you, which led you to Harvard University, 
Which is something that, you know, in statistics, a lot of Latinas, are, it's a very, very small amount of us that go to, to, to Harvard, which is an Ivy League university. So how did you, uh, how, what led you to go there? Like, was that like always the dream that you had? Like you were going to go to the top school in the United States? So apparently as a little girl, I got it stuck in my head somehow. And again, because my parents always told us, dream big, you know, we believe you can do anything. With hard work, I'd always wanted to go to Harvard since I was little, but I didn't go to very good schools growing up. And I remember my high school counselor laughing at me like, what? You want to oh apply no. to Harvard? And I was like, <laughs> yes, I'm going to apply. So I think being terca and mm-hmm. just being very, you know, mm-hmm. mainly being mm-hmm. stubborn, but also being bold. And mm-hmm. because of my parents' unconditional love, I applied and I got into Harvard and all the schools I applied to and I was very thankful for that but when I got there you know especially coming from schools that weren't as good as some of the other students Mm -hmm. it's just this I was so grateful to be there and that really drove every day and it was challenging but it was it was four of the best years of my life and I think that also kind of gives you perspective on some of the issues that low socioeconomic students face when they don't have schooling that prepares them for for universities such as that one you know while other kids have private tutors and have SAT tutors and that kind of thing like you never felt like you just didn't belong there like it, it was I'm asking this question like did you always feel like well you know maybe I don't come from the same background as most of the kids here but something else I have something else that's different and gives me that advantage I luckily again to keep going back to my parents because mm-hmm. they gave us such confidence and mm-hmm. such unconditional love I mean I I was so grateful to be there and knew how unique of an opportunity mm-hmm. but it was more this gratitude not I don't belong but it was a, it was hard because I had to have three to four part-time jobs in addition right. to my student loans exactly because it's expensive so you were you went through with scholarships you work three part-time jobs, or it says something, uh, working three part-time jobs to put yourself through school. That's amazing. Even through a, a Harvard workload, you still worked. Um, did you ever feel like you wanted to give up? No, just because I, I knew how unique of an opportunity it was. And I thought, again, going back to the stu- people I grew up around, how fortunate I was. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it was not just about me having this opportunity. It was about like, doing it for our community. For everyone. And so, mm-hmm. and I, so it just energized me. I mean, the harder it was, I kind of, I just have that very stubborn, mm-hmm. I guess, mm-hmm. you know. Which, which is going to serve you pretty good when you, you know, as you run, because I know there's a lot of things that are always challenges as we run for candidates, you know, and people not believing in you or like thinking, well, who are you to, you know, to take on this position? I know that the guy who's there, he's been there 10, over 10 years. So, you know, you have to have that confidence that I guess your parents gave you and like you've proven yourself since then that you have what it takes to get to the next level. I love that. Confidence, persistence. I love Persistence is so important. Yeah. And I always try to, uh, so I have three little girls and I'm always trying to teach them, like you learn so much succeeding, but also from failing. And so you just get right back up and you're stronger and you're smarter and you do it again. And so we just, I think we all just have to have that thick spine, Mm -hmm. which I, again, appreciate that I was raised like that because Mm -hmm. in politics, to your point, you Mm -hmm. definitely need that thick skin. Yes. And your parents were your example and you want to be an example for your girls, right? I mean, I think that's how it, that's Mm -hmm. how it is. So then you came back to the border and you served as a, as an eighth and 10th grade teacher. So you went and worked in the high school. What made you want to go and teach? So I love teaching. I think it's probably in my blood as the daughter of teachers. So I, 
I was actually after Harvard graduated and I had a fellowship. So I was living abroad and then my mother got a rare blood disease and my mom is my best friend as is my dad. So I went home and she was on her deathbed. Luckily mm-hmm. she survived, but I wanted to be there as mm-hmm. she recovered. And there were openings for teachers and I've always taught like Sunday school and in undergrad I taught recent immigrants English mm-hmm. and I just love teaching. Mm-hmm. So I taught eighth grade and then 10th grade and wow. being a teacher uh-huh. was, and I know you're <laughs> smiling because I know yes. you were a teacher for so long. I mm-hmm. loved, loved being in the classroom mm-hmm. and the schools I worked at were, you know, not the best schools. So for mm-hmm. example, we had had a murder at the at the oh middle gosh, school, yeah. and many of my eighth graders were involved in the juvenile justice system. And and being a teacher, as much as I loved being in the classroom, at the end of the day, I just saw that we need to change the system. So my kids were struggling, whether they had immigration-related issues, juvenile justice system, child welfare system, all these different systems were disserving my kids, mm-hmm. which just angered me deeply. And I was like, you know, I'd always wanted to be a lawyer since I was a little girl. Mm-hmm. And being a teacher kind of fired me up more. Yeah. I was like, we need to change the laws. We need to have fair laws that are then fairly applied. And everybody needs to be treated equally and been given, you know, be given an equal shot to succeed, which is one of the things that is driving me to run for this office. So after teaching, I went back up east. I went to Yale for law school, which I loved. And then I moved to Houston 15 years ago. And you practiced law since then? I have, yes. Yes. I've been practicing law in different chapters. Um, My life has been this wonderful journey of unexpected blessings. But I worked at a big law firm downtown, Vincent and Elkins, where I met my husband. Mm -hmm. So that was the unexpected blessing there. And then I worked as a general counsel and chief operating officer of a national nonprofit for about eight years, working on issues from criminal justice reform, healthcare reform, mm-hmm. education across the U.S., and we gave over a billion dollars during my time there. So worked on, you know, managing teams, building the team, hiring the team, right? Um, doing all the operations as COO and as a general counsel. And then I've I was I've been your judge, one of your civil judges for the last several years, and now I hope to be your next commissioner. So all of those things, I think all of those experiences sort of mold the person that you are now and kind of giving you a perspective teaching. And I think a lot of people don't realize that those those experiences that, that we go through, whether it's it's uh, it's a small job here or there, it gave you a perspective on the way these kids are growing up and the way that it again, it goes back. And this is a, this is one of those common themes I find in everything that I read about you, that it's equal rights for you is so is so important and I think it's because that's something that you lived through and you saw it firsthand um, and so many people you know if they go to a, a big university like that I think they you just assume they're going to go and get a very high top you know paying job but you came back to your community you came back to your parents you knew your parents needed you at the time and it, I think it, it it's a really it's a really great story, you know, to tell that it, it, ge- it gives you that perspective. It leads you to these things that you're doing now. And it gives you that strength because I think ultimately you are doing it for the community, which is something Thank that you. I can see. I can see definitely from you. So after being a teacher and serving um, and then, you know, working in law, you were a judge. And so how many years were you a judge? Almost three years. Okay, so you said a civil court. And so what led you, what motivated you to want to run for commissioner? So I am the first lawyer in my family, and being a judge was beyond my wildest dreams. And that is another story of God's, you know, unexpected blessings coming my way. 
but I was appointed to the bench and then I had to run in 2020 to keep it. And I was up again in 2022 to keep the bench, which is what I had planned on doing. And I thought I'd spend the rest of my life on the bench. And I loved it because in some small way, I got to advance justice. In some small way, every day, I got to show people that mm-hmm. the court system works for them mm-hmm. and that they are equal under the law. Mm-hmm. I got a call when the new maps, so every 10 years after the census, the four precincts are redrawn to reflect growth and shifts, you know, in the county. And Precinct 4 is now a new Precinct 4. And I'll go into more detail about Precinct 4. But the bottom line is, is I got a call to run. Okay. And I guess I'm one of these that you don't have to ask eight times, but I was already (sighs) running, running for the Who called you? Um, A lawyer in town. Okay. And I was already running for the bench, so I was already going to be on the ticket in 2022. Mm -hmm. And basically this lawyer said, you know, I'm a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Democrats, you know, we've seen you and we mm-hmm. know you love being a judge, but you also love being in the community and you've been able to build right. a very diverse coalition of support and cross, you know, racial and ethnic and mm-hmm. gender lines and age, et cetera. We think you'd be excellent. Think about it. And I'd never thought of running for commissioner. Frankly, I'd never thought of running for judge. But I decided to do it because at the end of the day, being a commissioner, You have the ability to impact people's day-to-day lives Mm -hmm. in real tangible ways, whether that's the sidewalk and park in their neighborhood or whether that's how many voting locations they have, public safety, fixing our highway system. I mean, you get to affect Mm -hmm. lives in a very proactive way. And Mm -hmm. the thought of being part of the solution just energized me to my core. And as a judge, you help people. But it's very reactive, not proactive, right. because it's. I'm a so I was a civil judge, but it's all gone wrong and is in a lawsuit, right? And the lawsuits before you, and so you listen, you treat them with respect, you uphold the law, but you're not really fixing the systemic issue, right? The fundamental problem. Yes. And as so as much as being a judge moved me, mm-hmm. this is the combination of my experience, you know, in the courtroom plus the classroom plus my time eight years at this nonprofit think right. tank like mm-hmm. at the end of the day I want to be in the community working with people helping to solve problems that mm-hmm. at the end of the day makes lives better not only for us to the quality of life but for our children and grandchildren more importantly so I, I thought that. it would give me the ability to do more to serve so, so what I, do you say to what do you say to people who are cynics and say there's no way one person can have this effect on on so many people there's no way like you're thinking that you can do so much good and it's impossible. You have too many roadblocks. You have too many naysayers. What do you say to people who say that? Because I hear it all the time. Oh, my vote won't count. It doesn't matter. You know, they're not even worried about me. It's this apathy. Tell me a little bit about yes. that, how you yes. handle that. We definitely see the apathy quite frequently and there will be challenges. I'm under no delusions. that There will not be. That being said, what I say when we're knocking on doors or calling voters or when I'm talking to students, because I'm also an adjunct at U of H, your vote does count. Mm-hmm. You're, you need to vote. And if you don't vote, don't complain that things aren't the way they should be because your yeah. vote literally is your voice. And if we all throw up our hands and just accept the way things are, yes, then things aren't going to change for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes, things may take longer to change than we like, and we all get frustrated with government, with 
many bureaucracy, things, you know, bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if you're not going to make the mm-hmm. change, then mm-hmm. who is right? So yeah. someone needs to step up to the plate. And in my opinion, we need people to step up to the plate who do have a heart of public service, who are solutions oriented, who are creative, who are bold, who are going to, you know, leave no rock unturned and look across the country to see what is working, what isn't, what have we done here in right. Harris County? And I think we've made a lot of progress recently, but there's mm-hmm. so much more to be done. But at the yeah. end of the day, I, I believe that we need to be the change. And it's easy to be cynical. It's easy yeah. to throw up your hands. It's yeah. easy to sit and binge watch Yeah, Netflix, and be a negative right? Nelly and not do anything about it. But, you know, there's people. And so when, when, you, when you face that kind of thing, is there something in your life that you go to? That and something in your in your inner inner person in your inner spirit in the essence of who you are, to remind yourself that yeah, I, one person can affect change. I mean, I think of all our teachers, you know, and I think of all the teachers who impacted me, who impacted you, Alicia. Like every, one person mm-hmm. in one classroom can make a difference. Yeah, one mayor of a city can make a difference. A president can make a difference. Now the difference could be positive or negative, as we have all experienced. Yeah. And again, one person's never going to solve anything under no delusion. But at the end of the day, if you have a person who can inspire hope, who can mobilize people to want to act and be a part of the change, I think this is a complete team effort. And we need leaders who inspire public confidence and public trust. And frankly, I think we need people to run who aren't so stuck in their own party. Like when you run for office, you serve everybody. Those who voted for you, those who didn't vote for you, those who didn't vote at all. Like you are a public servant working for the people. And I believe that to my core. And those are the kind of people we need to run for office. So if you're listening to this podcast and you've thought of running for office, Mm -hmm. do it. Count this as one of the times someone's asking you, I am asking you to run. But even if you don't want to run, you know what? We need people to support us. To volunteer to and volunteer, to help. To subs- you know, yeah. Knock on to doors, donate. make calls, to ma- donate money. Or if you don't want to run for office, there's some way you can help with that. your, you know, the PTA at your school or your church or your workplace. There's always mm-hmm. ways we can be a part of the change. And I do believe we're all called to serve. I love that. So the there are four commissioners in Harris County. Harris County court is made up of the county judge who serves as the county's chief executive officer and four commissioners correct the judge is elected countywide and the commissioners are elected by district you would represent 1.3 million residents you yourself and manage a staff of 445 employees and uh, you will have a budget of two point no 290.5 million 290.5 million dollars um, is it task daunting or is it exciting? To me, it energizes me. Oh this my is God, why I'm that type it. of person. <laughs> something, the more challenging, the more excited yeah. I become. And, you know, whether that was the 17-year-old Latina from the border showing up at Harvard and having, yes. you know, having to work extra uh-huh. hard or whether that's, you know, I worked at a nonprofit where we gave away a billion dollars and I have managed several hundred million dollar budgets on an annual basis and hired a team, managed right. a team and, so it's things I've done, and I want to build on that experience, and I look forward to diving in. I mean, if I, could, I always would tell my students, if I could, I'd be a student forever, and they'd look at me like, why? But yes. I love learning, and so the thought of just delving into the engineering and working with uh-huh. the Army Corps of Engineers and coming, you know, studying flood it. mitigation, yeah. I mean, it, that lights my fire because I love learning. I'm a fast learner, and at the end of the day, I am drawn to service, so... 
It will be an opportunity of a lifetime to be able to serve Precinct 4 with, you know, the, the values that I believe I bring to the table. Yeah. So. And I love that excitement. I love to hear you say that it excites you, that even though it is a big job, you're ready for it. You're prepared for it. You have the background. You have the experiences. You've you've managed a lot of money before. It's not like it's a new thing. It's not your first rodeo. This is just another way for you to serve. I think for you, it's so important. The word serve is is, is something that also is a very, very big theme in, in what you do. Um, and I think that's why um, people get excited over candidates, because we get excited when they're excited about what they're going to do and what they're going to approach. And um, even if something is big, it's like, yeah, I can do it. Well, why not? You know, finally, somebody like me can come in there and actually do something that can change things and maybe make better. You know, um, I was reading that the person who was who's still there and he's been there for a long time, he was upset because there's some re there was some uh, mapping going on. So tell us a little bit of how those maps are drawn um, and uh, your map for your precinct and what that includes. What areas does that include? Sure. So every 10 years, the maps are redrawn based on the census. And this time, it was a very iterative process. Individuals from the county and could submit their own version of the map and go testify. And, and so it was a very iterative process. All the maps that had been submitted were posted online. So, I mean, it was very transparent and open and open to the community. Okay. So that's what happens every 10 years. So the Precinct 4 now, the new Precinct 4, is huge. As I mentioned, you know, Harris County is bigger than 26 states. So it's a fourth of that. It is about 1.2 million people. It is a majority minority district. So it's about 40% Latino, 20% African American, 14% Asian American Pacific Islander, and then the rest white. It is so varied. It's this big hook. Go to lesliebriones.com if you want to see the map. And mm -hmm. I have an interactive version. But essentially, if you live from the Beltway 8 all the way out to Katy, you're in Precinct 4. Then it shoots up to Waller and a bit of Cyprus. And then under I-10, it comes down and it has A-Leaf, Sharpstown, Gulfton, Asia Town, a little bit of Bel Air, a little bit of Myerland. Mm -hmm. And then it cuts to the kind of Afton Oaks around the Galleria. Okay. And it's all of River Oaks, a little bit of Rice Military, and a little bit of Timber Grove, Lazy Brook, or most of Timber Grove, Lazy Brook, and then the 290 Hempstead. So it's a massive hook. So and we would go to your website, leslibriones.com, and see if we live in your precinct. Mm -hmm. You can see a map there. You can or see a map. if you look up your voter registration information, you can also see not only which precinct you live in, but what congressional district, what city council district. And so that's a helpful way. Um, and if on the topic of resources, if you mm -hmm. haven't registered to vote or you have, but you're unsure if you're going to get a vote uh -huh. by mail application. If you have any questions whatsoever about voting, go to harrisvotes.org. Okay. Harrisvotes.org. And there's also a phone number for those okay. of you who just may want to call and get more you know, answers that you may not find online. But harrisvotes.org. So it's vast. And vast. it's filled with so many different uh, areas and different ethnicities and demographics. Um, Correct. that, yeah. Wow. Is that because of gerrymandering? Well, it depends on how you define gerrymandering, yeah. I guess, <laughs> but it's drawing maps. Uh, drawing maps. You know? uh -huh. um, 
not a cartographer, but basically that was driven by the information from the 2020 census the 2020 and the changes. Census. I mean, Harris County continues to become more and more diverse. And so, you know, there were many, many maps submitted and ultimately that was the one voted on by the majority. So it could become that uh, there would be a super majority of Democrats on the Harris County Commissioner's Court if you get elected. So tell me about the, the you're running, and so you have an election on May 24th, and that is the Democratic primary. Correct. So we had the March 1st primary, and there were seven Democrats, including me, who ran, and it was an honor to run alongside them. Okay. We came out first of the seven. But there were seven. So mm -hmm. math kicks in and we didn't, you know, now we're in a runoff. So the You're runoff, runoff is May 24th and okay. early voting starts May 16th. So May right 16th. after Mother's Day, mark your calendars for that next week, uh, okay. May 16th. And it's only one Monday through Friday of early voting. There's no weekend. So May 16th and then the actual elections Tuesday, May 24th. And then God willing, when I win, then it would be me and the incumbent Republican in November, November 8th. November 8th. Okay. And um, if you want to find out uh, where to vote, would they be able to go to your website as well? Um, Harrisvotes.org would be the go best Go back to way, that place. And okay. it can show you all the polling locations, hours, et cetera. Harrisvotes.org. It's actually okay. very, very helpful. Amazing. I love that. Okay, so we have that May 24th. We're not going to forget that. And the day right after Mother's Day, everyone, we're going to get out and we're going to go vote for Leslie Briones, that's mm, for sure. Yes, yes. So, Leslie, I'm just super excited that you're here because I really love the the, the idea that we can finally um, have more women in, in political office, uh, more progressives. That makes me so excited. So part of um, your platform... I picked a, a few things that I wanted to talk to you about your sure. platform and your priorities because I know there's like, it's a diverse population and not everyone agrees with the same thing. You know, there's a few um, items on here where someone might lean more conservative, someone might lean more liberal. Like it's, it's very different. And so for you, these were some of the things that I found like, wow, yeah, I really wanted to talk to you about because um, I think they're so important and they really affect our community a lot. So Let's talk about um, expanding access for affordable health care. How does a commissioner, um, oh, how, what impact do they have with affordable health care? So let me give you one example. For example, in Precinct 2, what Commissioner Garcia has done has partnered with the medical center to bring smart pods. It, he has a partnership with Baylor College of Medicine for Precinct 2. And they have smart, so it's mobile health clinics that okay. he's put in the community because I am so proud that we live in one of the best world-class medical centers, but that care isn't always in the most underserved communities. Right. So my number one action item with regard to expanding healthcare will be to create that partnership so we have those mobile health clinics deep in Precinct 4 in the most underserved areas. And how were those funded, by the way? Through the county budget and then... My goal, coming again from my background uh -huh. of doing a lot of public-private partnerships, there's a lot of opportunities to have, whether it's philanthropy or public-private partnerships, to make sure there's skin in the game by multiple stakeholders in our community. But for that, for instance, that we, you know, the Harris County, we have Harris Health, and there's different pockets of healthcare funding that is managed by commissioner's court. So that I would foresee most likely being from the county budget um, because there is a county health care 
system available that just, again, needs to expand further. Mm-hmm. But my vision is to partner with our world-class healthcare and see how much some of these, you know, we have, whether it's the Methodist, MD Anderson, you know, right. Memorial Herman, what more uh-huh. can they do to step up as community members to infiltrate and permeate into underserved communities. But the other piece of it is, and the reason the county is spending so much is because our state level government hasn't expanded Medicaid, which to me is unconscionable when we are one of the most under and uninsured states in the country. So one of my other action items, which has been already done and which needs to be done Uh in a very persistent fashion is on our legislative agenda for the county to make sure we're pushing the state government and state leadership to expand Medicaid. Because we, when we have federal monies available that we're not availing ourselves, that's taking county and other And is that just resources. because ideologically they don't want to take it? Yes. Even though their constituents could need, yes. would, yes. would, would yes. be served by it? Yes. Wow. Yeah. So that's another action item. And then frankly, I want to look at health in a, in a much more preventative way. So... As we all know, it drives up the costs if we're having people go to the emergency room. Of course, uh uh-huh. Like what we need to do is really start addressing purposefully food deserts and healthy eating and physical and mental health from a very early age, partnering even more purposefully with school districts, churches, community centers, especially, you know, in in our communities of color where we have the highest rates of diabetes or maternal deaths or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, disproportionate impact from the pandemic. So I want to think holistically and very purposefully of, of health in a in a broad way and that's proactive and preventive care, just Absolutely. making it something that's, um, you know, and it's and it's true because the 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 more poor the community, the more um, access they have to quick, easy, fast food, and that typically leads to problems with health. And so, I feel like we're always addressing. We're trying to address just the, the problem and never the root cause for that, you know? I and I feel like that's always something that's continuously happening. And I, I, I read here that even just Harris County, 200,000 uninsured Harris County residents. 200,000. And wow. imagine there's an action we could take. We as, well, the state, as of, the Texas, state of Texas. We need to get that done. Um, Okay, let's move on to flooding because um, flooding has also been a big problem in the city. And I guess, you know, I even feel still like a little like um, PTSD when it starts to rain pretty hard because I'm thinking, oh, no, here we go again with another flood. And that shouldn't be the case, right? I mean, we shouldn't have to worry about that. We should not. I even felt that PTSD you're talking about, Alicia, this morning, actually. Yes. The storm we had. This morning, The, the water yes. was rising. The street in front of where my kids go to school was flooded. I mean, it's we oh all have PTSD. And I think I a lot of us do after so Harvey. Much, yeah. So mm-hmm. much. And one other quick anecdote before I tell you some of my ideas is my baby, Ana Lucia, she was born right around Harvey. Oh, she my was goodness. due right around there. And I just remember, so our home got, thankfully, was not flooded, but all the streets oh, no. between my home and the ho- any hospital mm-hmm. were completely flooded. And I thought, wow. oh my goodness, I'm going to have this baby in the bathtub. So I was just praying and praying and praying she stayed in. Luckily she did. She was not born in the bathtub. But those are the sort of yeah. stories where we have friends who have had to you'll you know, never forget break them. through their roof mm-hmm. and wait for a helicopter right. or float down with an air mattress down their street. And these are things we've all, in my court, I had so many cases where... Um, you know, 
contractors or, you know, different disputes with regard to repair, insurance disputes Mm -hmm. with regard to repairing homes. I mean, we're all still suffering. And it's this kind of pay now or pay later, right? It's going to happen again. It is. It is. It's inevitable. address it. So here are some of my thoughts. One, we, very basic, not sexy, but we need to maintain ditches better, especially in our communities of color. Ditches get backed up with debris, with leaves, et cetera. And it doesn't trash exactly, and then the water doesn't drain properly, which mm-hmm. exacerbates the problem. So I want to have a very, pur- my, my crew in Precinct 4 is going to be very purposeful, and we are going to have a number where you can get 24 to 48-hour service to clean any ditches. Two, I want to study the areas that don't have a park or detention pond in Precinct 4 and get to work on creating, so you can have a dual use, a detention pond, which is basically a field, that you can have as a park. So it not only absorbs water in a natural green way and helps the air quality, but it's also a you know, place where our kids can play and help yes. with physical and mental health to our earlier points. So I want to create these neighborhood detention ponds as well. Further, we need to make sure that along our bayous, we're continuing to have the green vegetation so that we have more natural absorption because concreting our yeah. way is not going to, it's yeah. just exacerbating the problem. We need to create additional capacities in our ditches and bayous by um, expanding them. And we need to work with the federal government. So for instance, Attics and Barker are in Precinct 4. Yeah. Uh-huh. And we know that those are two of the six those, most dangerous yes. dams in the United States. And so for example, A, we need to increase their capacity. B, there's, you know, this study that's been going on and now is resurrected again but whether the deep tunnel system to make sure that we are transferring the water out into the Galveston Bay is another idea. And there's just so many different actions. Um, but at the end of the day, I want to prioritize green solutions and using our natural infrastructure, you know, yeah. plants, grass, et cetera, to help with the natural absorption and making sure that we are Yes. Being very thoughtful in the new developments to make sure that we keep flood mitigation front and center because it's, it's our population continues to grow. And right, which is was, was which was gonna lead me to the next question and and you said concrete. So does that is there a way for there to be limited construction so that there isn't so much I mean, I know that's part of business, that's part of, you know, economic growth, but um you know, a lot of the, these these neighborhoods, a lot of these places are, are going in places where, again, they're getting rid of a lot of vegetation and replacing it with concrete. Um, is that something that you would handle in, in commissioner? Well, I would try to incentivize because to me, at the end of the day, we're going to keep developing and it's positive. Yeah. We need to create right. Houston as our economic hub in, in this country, one of the huge economic hubs. So I'm very much pro continuing our development. But how do we incentivize the contractors and developers to make sure that they're prioritizing green solutions and the materials and the approaches in these new developments, um, the parks they're adding, the, you know, and just making sure that that is a key component. Right. And as a commissioner, there are county projects. Mm -hmm. And so in our procurement process, making sure that um, prioritizing green solutions and keeping flood mitigation front and center is something I'm very committed to doing so that, I mean, we all don't have to, we shouldn't live in this fear. In this fear, We're not going to stop flooding, but what we can do is 
better our drainage, mm-hmm, better mm-hmm. the conveyance. So they were prepared the for the next time because it is going to happen and, and it's inevitable. It's going to happen. So we have to be ready for it. Um, I wanted to talk to you about something called keeping our family safe. And I believe that is something also that I think is just such a big, big um, issue for moms like myself, p- women who have kids in schools. I mean, there's always a fear that our kids are being sent to school and there's all these possibilities, all these things that can happen. And, and the crime rate um, in the city of Houston just continuously to, to you know, it, it's, it's so pervasive. And I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about how you plan or what that part of the platform is for you, um, especially as violent crime is, is, is going on the rise. So I am extremely committed to keeping all of our families safe and the perspective I bring to the table, and then I'll talk about some solutions that I've been thinking about. But I've been the victim of crime several times, actually, since as a little girl to my adulthood, and nobody deserves to be victimized, um, and no one should have to live with that, Mm -hmm. what that does um, to you. And also, I'm the mother of three young girls, and I don't like mm-hmm. that I can't let my kids play in the front yard by themselves, much less walk to the park a couple blocks away. I mean, yeah. we all have s- stories of things that have happened in our neighborhoods, and um, and it's just unacceptable. And, you know, I've had students murdered, and I, I mean, I could go on and on. But we've, I've, my husband's cousin was murdered. I mean, we, I could go on, but the point is me and my family have been the victims and I'm the mother. And you know, I was shocked to learn this. Maybe I shouldn't have been shocked. I will, God willing, be the very first mother ever elected to Harris County Commissioner's Court. The first mother. We need that perspective because if anybody cares about safety, it sure is mothers protecting their their babies. And so several things. Um, First of all, I'm very committed to listening to law enforcement and what they say their needs are. I am, I stand with law enforcement. I am very supportive and honor their sacrifices. Two, I want to make sure that our law enforcement has the technology that they need to be communicating because, as, as you know, there's over 70 law, different law enforcement agencies in Harris County. So over 70? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the different, wow. yeah, yeah. Um, when you are, think of the different school are they districts, they public and private? Yeah. Well, there's different layers. So okay. it's, you know, the sheriff's office, the constables, the, uh-huh. the, yeah. all the HPDs and all the other cities, police departments, meets, you yeah. know, HCC has a community. HCC, a yeah, HIC, yeah. HIC like has their the own, yeah. different school districts. Wow. And, and so if you think 70, of, I had no idea. Yeah, over 70. Wow. Um, over. And so making sure that we are all collaborating in the most effective and efficient way through the use of technology, through there's, you know, various new technologies, but making sure we're using data analytics to respond instantaneously to shooting. So for instance, um, shot spotter technology, or I'm a huge proponent of working with communities and having proactive community-based policing so that the, we have you know, the trust between the community and law enforcement. So working with the churches, with the community centers, with the people in the communities so that, you know, we ha- it's, yeah. a, it's a team approach to law right. enforcement. And so we're solving crimes. And I want to make sure law enforcement has the resources, not a, not only the resources to respond, but then to investigate crimes, right? That's a problem. And then relatedly, unfortunately, there's a, a substantial backlog in criminal cases. And we need to make sure we have enough funding 
continued funding, Commissioner's Court has already allocated some, but for visiting judges and associate judges to clear up that To backlog. hear these cases and keep them moving? Yes, because we need to move them along. And if somebody is is found guilty, then that's Is the that why we have, we have such a, a, a controversy with bonds? Um, it's related, but separate. Okay, so, so it's separate. Okay. Um, but related, because before trial, you know, in yeah. our constitutional, everyone in the U.S. Mm-hmm. is presumed to be innocent until proven guilty. Well, judges, criminal court judges, set a bond. Yes. And then, depending on the bail bondsman, it could be it, they pay, have to pay 10%, but there's been recently, you know, some are only charging 1%, 3%. And, uh-huh. and so there's been a lot of talk about that lately. Yes. From my vantage point, and I've never been a criminal judge, I was only a civil judge, but to me, if someone is a threat to public safety, they should not be released. And they shouldn't be bonded. They should not be released if they're yeah. a threat to public safety. Now, if someone is not a threat to public safety and they can return to work and continue right. being productive citizens, okay, fine. Um, but another whole like conflation that needs to be separate there's misdemeanor bail reform which misdemeanor low level you know mm-hmm. usually nonviolent mm-hmm. offenses i'm a very committed to that and we should not criminalize people because they can't pay right like we should not criminalize right. poverty and if it's a misdemeanor you should you know be released and continue being a productive citizen providing for your family and then come back to court for your day in court mm-hmm. now felonies is a whole other system yeah. and yeah. in my event again i've never been a criminal court judge and they're looking at all the facts and circumstances surrounding a defendant but we need to keep public safety front yes. and center because if someone is shown and you know through their criminal record and through their actions we need to make sure we're prioritizing safety so in some Public safety is of paramount importance to me, not only as, as somebody who lives in this community, uh-huh. but as a mother. And so I will bring that perspective to commissioner's court to making sure we're looking at it, in, again, in a very holistic way. And at the end of the day, we need to have, to your one of your earlier points, Alicia, the root causes. We need to yes. make sure that we're giving people the educational opportunities, the health opportunities yeah. to lead productive yeah, no, because I, I, as a, as a person outside looking in, what what we're hearing is there's too many guns. There's not enough, you know, gun control. Again, it's it's one of those um, hot topics. But quite frankly, it's something that lives in our heads all day, every day. If we're sending our kids to school, I have a middle schooler, I have a, a a college student. I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about those things and and all of these laws. And I know it's not something that you that it's necessarily for commissioners, but um, I know that's where our mind is. That's where our our, our and I, I and I see there's a lot of prevention. There's a lot of you know allocating resources, but in 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 our head, we are listening to bullet points and we're listening to um, one one word ideas like, you know, defund the police or gun control. And those things, I think, need to be more clarified, just like Agreed. you did right now. And I think you clarified a lot of what that means, you know, what it means to fund um, the police, what it means to give them the, the proper resources or maybe providing for them um, programs, technology, that kind of thing, because... I mean, as much as we, we want to believe that we want to give these, these you know, these these police all of this technology, again, a, a lot of our community is very distrustful of that. And unless we can a, a, address those things and maybe address the moms that are afraid and, and are scared of what's going on in, in the community right now, I don't know if, um, I don't know if there's a solution for that. I think it's one of those all of the above, kind of both and. Like yeah. we can't look at, 
this in isolation, but I do agree on a macro scale beyond what I talked about, gun control, what reform federally and at the state level, that's a whole other yeah. broader discussion. Um, also mental health, right? The Harris County Jail is one of the biggest mental health facilities. So I've really liked um, one of the new programs Commissioner's Court has funded where, you know, giving training so that um, if there is an episode with regard to mental a mental health or suicide or addiction, you have a mental someone from ment- with mental health training to respond so that where the law enforcement officers can be responding to violent crime where they're yeah. needed, right? So it's about leveraging resources and we don't need to criminalize someone if it really is, you know, it's regarding homelessness yeah. or addiction. Right. Like we need to addiction, get Addiction, which is right? always criminalized. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be separating and just having really honest conversations. And I think people are too quick to point fingers or, yeah. or go back to defund, you know, some of the things that you're saying. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, all I can say is I stand with law enforcement. I honor their sacrifice. And I think we all want our families to be Absolutely. safe. And, 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 when we, we're, and when we're not safe, we want somebody to come and keep us safe. So definitely, I think, Police is somebody that we definitely need and we definitely need to have in our communities. Um, and it's definitely something I feel like um, just needs to have like a huge conversation that needs to happen around that. But okay. I appreciate you approaching it and like giving us that perspective on the other side and that, you know, that background that a lot of people don't understand. I think it's a lot about like bullet points and whatever's yeah. going to get people like um, agitated, you know. Um, and then I just want to talk a little bit more about in a, a few more of your platforms. Sure. Um, you stand strong with Texas women. I think that's something that's very, very prevalent in my community and, and the community that I'm with. The women that I associate with, professional um, women, a lot of them are married and they don't want, you know, more children. I think they feel like their rights are being eroded by the state of Texas. Um, and having somebody like you, and I know that you made a stand and you made a platform there and you said, you know, I, I'm here to stand with Texas women. And I think that's important to, to remind us, you know, that it's, it's still, we're, we're still a part of the society, you know, as much as the state sometimes wants to ignore us or wants to pretend like it's not a big deal. I mean, with a lot of the, the issues with the trans children, a lot of those things, those are, those are things that are affecting moms. Those are things that are affecting women like us. And we have a voice. So absolutely, if this matters to you, go out and vote. Please, please vote. Um, and get pro- you want to protect our right to vote, talking about voting. Exactly. Because, again, eroding our rights. Exactly. So Making I believe it more as, difficult. as women, well, we have a constitutional right for decades to choose what we decide to do with our bodies. It is our constitutional right that we have had for decades. And in the state of Texas, that is being eroded. And we will see how it plays out ultimately in the U.S. Supreme Court um, through various cases that are on deck. But at the end of the day, as a mother of three young girls, I don't want to raise them in a place that we are going back literally decades in terms of a woman and her right to choose what she does with her own body. And so we all have different views on this. But at the end of the day, I believe that as women, we must fight for our rights. And as men. You need to fight for your rights. And yes. as men who are the father or husband or, yes, or whatever brother, you may be, yeah, brother. Like, yeah, yeah. To me, any erosion of rights, I think we all need to be pushing towards equality and opportunity for all rather than carving back. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want our society to retrogress, whether that's with the right to vote or what we do with our bodies versus, you know, how we treat children in the state of Texas. 
It is. I, I am shocked. Um, it's it's shocking, shocked. and it just feels like the more you know, the more we try to change things, the more things stay the same. It just feels like so frustrating that sometimes you feel like you're you're accomplishing something, and then this starts to happen, and then again, like um, you know, and and you feel so devastated, and you don't even want to participate in the process anymore because you feel for what. You know, it's, they're just going to affect me. And it's, it's something that always affects, you know, women of color and women of socioeconomic uh, means, you know, because I think those are things where, um, I don't know, for me and in, in, in a lot of ways, it's like, a, it's like, you know, the state of Texas is saying, well, we really don't care about you. You really don't matter to us. You're not going to vote for us. So we're going to do whatever we want to impose our social justice. I mean, I call them like social justice warriors. I call them dinosaurs sometimes, like in another era. <laughs> No, I said that she didn't. Yeah. No, but I'm, no, I'm yeah. with you, Alicia. But that's it's the tough. thing. It's, like it's hard. As, as angry as you may get, as yes. frustrated as you may get, what I say and what I challenge you to do is use that anger, use that frustration. Yeah. Don't let it turn into apathy. Turn it into action. And the first and foremost action is vote religiously every single election. Yes. Vote because if and you know you may be listening and you might applaud what. Abbott and Paxton and company are doing. And that is your absolute right. Well, go vote and go get more people like that. Yes. But if that doesn't speak to you and you don't, you know, you actually do want to uphold your own constitutional rights and those of others, go vote. Because at the end of the day, the only way we live in a democracy, the only way we're going to change is if we vote. And we need to vote people into office who reflect our values. And we all have different values. But if you're not speaking for your values, the other people who don't have your values will speak for theirs. That's so, so true. we turn your anger into action, not apathy. And guys, vote in local elections. Don't just wait until it's for president. Don't wait until it's that year. You are impacted so much by local elections. Every time somebody runs for judge, every time somebody runs for commissioner for, um, I think there's a Harris County, there's so many different positions. There's so many things that you you can vote at the local level. Don't wait until it's the big one, like, you know, the presidential election. Don't, because honestly, we're affected so much by local things, you know, even at the state level. All of those things are affecting and are affecting us so much. But guys, I want to just remind you to please get out to vote. On May 24th is the runoff. She will be on the ballot and you will be running. And so we're going to be voting for Leslie Briones. And also go to harrisvotes.org if you want to know where you're voting. I guess all the details of all the people that are there and they're going to be running or where they can vote or if they're registered to vote, correct? Is that correct. the place you to go? Check your and then if they want to know more about you, they can go to lesliebriones.com. Leslie is spelled L-E-S-L-E-Y, briones.com. Okay, let's go back to Harris Votes. Harrisvotes.com, yes. Awesome. Yes, so I please <laughs> need you. I please need your vote on May 24th and then when we win on November 8th. But again, this is about you. I feel like we're all on the ballot. Public safety is on the ballot. Our rights to vote, our rights to what we do to our bodies, educational opportunities for our children, access to affordable health care. All of these things are on the ballot. And so please make sure you are registered to vote and then please vote in every single election because your vote matters. Um, I had a friend who ran who literally lost by nine votes. So if nine more people would come out, so your vote actually matters. And to Alicia's point, these local Mm -hmm. and city and county elections matter even more because you're going to care who your family court judge is when 
knock on wood, you may be getting a divorce or you're in a custody battle. Exactly. You're going to care who your civil court judge is when you're in a contractual dispute over, a, you it know, when your contractor didn't fix life. the, you know, it, everything it matters. It does. Who your city council person is when you're looking to get another, you know, speed bump or light or fix a pothole, like it all matters. Mm-hmm. So please, we need your vote. And in whatever way you are called to serve in your own life, at, with your family, at your work, at church, running for office, whatever it may be, we need you. And I believe that together we are stronger. And especially as women, I think we have a superpower. And so thank you, Alicia, for all you do to empower other women and for giving me this opportunity today. I'm grateful. And for those of you who want to join our campaign, knock on doors, make calls, or donate, please visit lesliebriones.com. And if you have any questions, you can get a hold of me there as well. I, I would love your ideas. And again, let's be a part of the solution together. Thank you. I love that. And it's been a pleasure having you. I appreciate you coming on and giving us your your point of view, your perspective, your history, your experiences. I think that is so important. And we will also be including all of your information on the description for the podcast episode. So you all will be able to see those links. Um, follow her on Instagram. I know I'm following you on Instagram. So I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Alicia. Thank you for all you do. Thank you. And let's get out to vote May 24th, everyone. May 24th. Thank you. You know what time.